Bill Southwick has been with Macmillan Education for five years, coming to us with decades of experience as a classroom teacher, a camp director, and a longtime admissions director at a Boston area day school. Bill graduated from Kimball Union Academy in New Hampshire, later pursuing his undergraduate degree from Colgate University in English and Political Science. He then earned a Certificate of Advanced Graduate Studies in Educational Leadership from Simmons University. Thanks so much for joining me today, Bill. I'm excited to chat with you about building school lists. Thanks, Betsy. This is this is a good topic, and we'll we'll have some fun. Well, firstly, how many years have you spent working in schools? Just just out of curiosity. I was in a couple of different schools for 30 years, um, in the classroom for 20, and then admissions and school placement and development for the other. Sure. <laughs> And today we're discussing the topic of building a school list. So to start us off, Bill, in your opinion, what would you say is most important for students and parents to remember when when starting this process of building a school list? I mean, thanks, Betsy. I think the most important piece that anybody can ever have in this process is thinking about finding a school where a child can be both successful and happy. And those things can be defined in an awful lot of different ways. I mean, there is academic success in the kind of traditional sense, but it might be that they're interested in a place that is more hands-on or perhaps more traditional. Um, There's lots of different pieces that are there. And ultimately, if a child can be happy at school, the, the chances of success are far higher. So places where they, they, they feel comfortable and they kind of look around and say, yep, these are the people I want to be with. Awesome. And, and expanding on that or, or keeping that in mind, where should a family start when beginning the process of constructing their school list? I mean, families really need to start with kind of their values and what, what's important to them as they start to think about it. And you can't always figure that out immediately when you when you start thinking about schools. But, but what do you, what's important? How do you like this to be? Do you want a place where you've got a very close relationship with the teachers and the, and the other families? Are you content with a place where there's a little more formal structure? How does that work? We like to think about the independent schools as all having a baseline of strong academics. Um, how they do that and how they come, come to that, those processes vary. But if you think about that as something that's, that's kind of a baseline, then what you're, you're trying to figure out is what's the unique thing about the school? Kind of what's their special sauce? Um, perhaps they have a very strong arts program and you may have a child that is interested in, in doing something in the performing arts or in the visual arts or, you know, a hands-on, a makerspace, things like that. It could be that athletics is the thing that is driving you to this process. And maybe you're looking for opportunities to play at, the high school and potentially even the collegiate level. Maybe you're just interested in a place where you can pursue your interests and stay on a team or stay with a sport throughout your high school career, even if that's not going to lead anywhere else. And are you happy with, you know, a JV experience? Is that something that the school can offer? There's lots of ways to think about how those pieces come together and how are they integrated? Is Are these add-ons or are they really 
kind of a fundamental part of the school day and the school program. And would you say that this process of school list building looks the same for every student or is it pretty different, you know, child to child? It really needs to be individualized. Um, and there are, you know, an awful lot of schools with an awful lot of different pieces. And sometimes families will approach it with logistics in mind. And they're trying to figure out how are they going to get a child or children to a particular school around work schedules, around family life, perhaps around other activities. That's a piece that can happen. Also, you know, they, they may be thinking about the, the concept of day versus boarding. And, you know, maybe it's, it's a, a younger child or some or a family that really wants a local day school. That is certainly a very, a, a great choice. There are also a lot of boarding schools, both local within, you know, say an hour of home, as well as a lot further away. And thinking about that and thinking about what that means, sometimes there's, there are questions about selectivity. And they're a little harder to figure out than they are when you're thinking about the college world. In the college world, all the statistics about, about admissions and all of those things are public information. In the school world, it's much less so. And so there's a little bit of how do we, how do we learn a bit about that and what does it look like? And sometimes the schools are willing to share some of that information with families. Sometimes they need to talk to a third party who may have some more information. Another piece that, that it's worth thinking about as you're looking at schools, um, what, what's going on with academic support? And by academic support, I'm not strictly limiting that to schools that, that, that are special education focused, but virtually every student could use support in one place or another. And maybe it's some extra time in math, or maybe it's some work in the writing center to polish up their work, all of those things. Um, in the wake of COVID, there's an awful lot of attention and questions about social and emotional support. What has the school done? Have they expanded some programs in those areas? Um, school counseling used to be a relatively modest part of, of schools programs. It tends to be a lot more today. Um, and students are, you know, looking for that and trying to understand what that means and what it looks like. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, visits and interviews um, along with the research and working with counselors like those of us at McMillan is a, a great place to start. Um, but I'm curious, how do you approach parents who might seem to be creating a list that of schools that they like rather than a list of schools that is best for their child? These are fun conversations. And sometimes you know, you, you, you want to spend some time getting to know the family and understanding a little bit about them. And, and it's okay to ask those questions. And, you know, is this based on research? Is this based on information from your neighbor, your coworker, your friend? Um, one of the great things that we always have to remember as parents is that schools evolve and they evolve a lot and they've evolved a lot over the years. And the high school that I went to is very different than it was then, and it'll be different again. And keeping an open mind and being willing to look at a range of schools that may or may not be as familiar to mom and dad is really important. Um, you may discover that the school down the street that maybe your neighbor doesn't have anything good to say about is actually a really good fit for you or your child. 
Um, and those are, those are not always easy conversations. Um, and families are thinking about it. And, and sometimes we have to say, you know, well, what's the, what's the ultimate goal here? Is the goal to, they're definitely going to be in a new school next year. If that's the case, then we have to think about selectivity. If they're just interested in exploring options and their current school or a, you know, a, a nearby institution makes sense for them, that's great too. But it's really, you know, doing a lot of intentional listening with families and saying, hey, okay, I hear you. This makes sense. I, I want to push back a little bit. I want to, I want to give you some, a, a few other ideas. Um, one of the great things that I would tell families when I worked in school in the admissions office, they would come in, I'd, or we would be talking on the phone and I would say, do me a favor and don't listen to the chatter at the bus stop or at the gym or wherever, but actually come in and make your own assessment. And very often, you know, that would result in them saying, wow, I didn't know about this or I didn't know about that. Or, you know, this school has a real reputation for their sports program. It turns out that the, what the offerings in the arts are really strong or, you know, however that might work. Or they discover along the way that their child does need some some more support than is otherwise available where they are now. And they're interested in finding out what it looks like in some different schools. Awesome. And kind of returning to the fundamentals of a list, would you say it's similar to a college list where students need to kind of protect themselves in a way and make sure that they have, you know, both realistic options as well as options that might be a little bit more out of reach, but um, are schools that they, they still feel connected to? I think so. I think, um, you know, the difference, and and people get tired of hearing me say this, but one of my frustrations with the school admissions process is that it is kind of like the college process only for much younger kids. And there's times when I want to say, everybody take a deep breath. We're, we're going to be okay. But you also want to make sure that your expectations are in kind of in line with what, with where you are. And nobody really wants to apply to six or seven schools and get into none. That's, that's, that's a, a waste of time and effort and it, and it hurts. But Maybe you think about, okay, these are the places we really like. Are there some other schools, perhaps in the area or within the region, that have a lot of the pieces that, uh, that we like from these schools, and, but are less selective? And sometimes a way to do that is there may be a school that does, you know, they have both boarding and day, and perhaps they're um, a little more accessible. And that's one way for families to think about it. But I often will have them go out and go to a couple of school visits. And then I want to talk to the parents and I want to talk to the student again and say, tell me what, tell me what you liked. Tell me what felt good, what felt right. And I'm not talking about the name at the end of the driveway. I'm talking about your interactions with people. Perhaps it's the facilities. It's, it's all of those kinds of things so that we can help them guide them a little bit into understanding a little more of how to do it. Um, facilities can, can be, you know, exciting and they can be, you know, you, you go in and I remember when I was teaching and a student would go and they come back and they say, they've got an ice cream machine in the dining room. And I think to myself, yep, is that the most important statistic? But it, you know, little perceptions and little things like that, you know, they're there. And so families have to kind of think about it and like with older students with the college process, 
Perhaps you have the parents make a pros and cons list and you have the child make a pros and cons list and they kind of get together and talk about it and think, hey, these are, you know, this is where our lists kind of, you know, we got the Venn diagram and this is where the, they line up and maybe that makes sense. Um, and it's okay to use school admissions folks to answer some of those questions. Sometimes I would always ask families, you know, where else are you looking? And sometimes they would tell me, the kids would usually tell me, but sometimes the parents would. And if the list made sense, you know, great, okay. And sometimes they would have a list that the schools were very, very different from one another. And you might say, tell me more. Tell me how, how did you get, how did you get to this list? Did you draw a circle and the schools within it? Or was it, you know, what, what was the process? Um, one of the things that, that we have developed in the past few years that works pretty well for the boarding schools is what we call the OWL boarding school guide. And during COVID, we did a lot of uh, virtual school fairs with, with boarding school friends. And out of that came a real kind of desire for a, an unbiased uh, guide that families could use to look things up. And you might want to know what's the percentage of day versus boarding, or perhaps you want to know where the nearest airport is, or any of those kinds of things. But you can drill down and get some good information that is provided directly to us from the school. So we don't uh, we don't put editorial information in there. It's just straight up. Um, and that's a real that's a need. And it's it's one of these things where how do we how do we get good information about schools? Um, there is a fair amount of information out on the internet, but it's not particularly vetted in most of it, and it and it may not be that valuable. So, you know, if boarding schools are in your search criteria, even at all, even if they're not just, you know, it's worth taking a look and understanding a little bit of how that, how that plays. Yeah. One of the coolest features, in my opinion, of the OWL boarding school guide would be the uh, advanced search, advanced search function, um, which includes a checkbox. You can scan which boarding schools require the SSAT and which do not require that for the admissions process. Um, so I'm curious, Bill, how how does testing, you know, ISCE, SSAT, or even neuropsychological testing, how does that work itself into the school list building process? For the most part, um, the day schools are going to be looking for a standardized test. And then the boarding schools, there's a wide range. Um, you know, for a couple of years after the COVID first started, there was a real, you know, kind of a step back from testing. And schools had to come up with a process that included, um, you know, perhaps more teacher recommendations or a greater emphasis on the interview and some of those things. So that was that was a process. And some of them have kind of embraced the, their new paradigm and they're fine with it. And so they're not necessarily looking for testing. Others are. And, you know, there's no right or wrong and that's okay. Um, but they often will look at the testing with a couple of lenses. One is, you know, does the testing sort of line up with what they else they know about the student? Does his, his or her transcript look, you know, similar? It's, we've got a B student and we've got testing in the seventies and eighties. It makes sense. It all, it all kind of flows together. Or is there a discrepancy in one direction or the other? And there's lots of information that can be gleaned there. Sometimes families will have neuropsych testing done 
and it might be a suggestion from a current school. It might be just a family that is interested in learning more about their child's learning style, any of those pieces. And the thing about neuropsych testing is it's, it's far more detailed than just filling in a bunch of bubbles on a Saturday morning, as a lot of standardized tests are. And so there's a lot of really good information in there, both for the learner, his or her family, as well as the teachers in the schools. And so if a family goes to the, the trouble of having a, a neuropsych scheduled and completed, it's definitely a very important part of the admissions process because the schools take it very seriously and they will look at information in a neuropsych, not with a, sometimes families think, oh, well, they, they think if we have testing, there's something wrong. Well, not necessarily. They just want to know more. And so the schools will look at that and they'll have their professionals review it and they'll come back with, you know, this is a student that, that is absolutely appropriate for our program. This is a student who may, you know, may be better placed elsewhere or somewhere in the middle where they've got, they've got questions and they need additional information. And I always say that if, if a family, if a school says to a family, uh, we're concerned that we may not be able to, to meet your child's needs, that's really good information before the child gets there. And there are, there's a better setting and that's okay. Um, and so we, we strongly encourage folks to share that kind of information with the schools as part of the admissions process. And I know as a longtime teacher, having that for the students in your class can really inform your, your practices and how you're doing that. So um, overall, I, I think the testing may be a little less emphasized. It may not be as, as big a process as it was five or 10 years ago, but it is still important in the schools that are requiring it are looking for things. Um, it's a little different than the college process where we're all looking at these test scores that are unbelievably high. And part of that is because only good scores are getting submitted to the colleges today. So there's no, there's no kind of correction on those. We don't get the same kind of data from the schools, but I know from experience that there is a broader range of testing that the day schools are going to see. Yeah, since we don't have that type of public data for schools that we do for colleges, do you mostly rely on your personal experience and personal relationships with these schools and just kind of the students you've seen attend these schools in the past and who has thrived there and who has not? The biggest thing that we do is we try to get out there and see as many schools as possible. We're visiting them all the time. And um, I mean, I think in in the spring, we saw about 18 or 20 schools in the greater Boston area in a period of time. And one of the things that we try to do is to really get the, the most up-to-date information. And they will share a lot more data with us. It's not really public data, but it's, it's helpful as we think about lists and things. So a school might say to us, you know, we have a 15% accept rate. Okay, we know that that's a very low number. But what does that mean, you know, how many, how many applicants are you getting? Does that vary if it's an application for, say, sixth grade or ninth grade or, you know, for a repeat junior? There's, there's, there's so many factors that one number doesn't really do it. But it also gives us an opportunity to ask questions about what's new. Perhaps they have a new admissions director who has a slightly different philosophy or there's a new head of school coming in and, and are they excited and what's, 
what do they anticipate some of those changes? So the long-term relationships with the schools are really important, and we have those, but we also try to keep very current with what's going on. And so soliciting information from them, you know, for instance, for the Owl Boarding School Guide, but also in campus visits and visits to our office, we try to have really close connections. And then we speak to them in February during our quiet advocacy phase, and we're talking to the schools, and they often will say, hey, you know, we're having a, you know, we're having a great year. We're up, you know, 10% over last year. Or interestingly, you know, perhaps we're not up as much as we might we might have expected. Um, and and that, that information is held in confidence, but it informs our decisions as we build lists in future years. That makes a lot of sense. And I know you touched a little bit on preliminary lists um, and how a student's list can change a lot throughout their process. In your experience, how much does a student's preliminary school list change by the time that they're submitting applications? And also, when would you kind of advise students to have their true list ready by? You can kind of build back from the deadlines to the start of the process. Um, And most school applications are due between the middle and the end of January. So if you think about that, You're going to have to do school visits before that. Most of the school visits happen in the months of October, November, and December. There are some that happen in January, but it's it's getting a little close to the deadlines for for some of that. And then the testing will happen. It could be as early as in the spring and summer. It could be, you know, in the fall. So you have those various pieces that inform your your decision-making overall. And we often might start with eight or 10 or 12 schools on a, on a preliminary list and the family would do some of their own research and come back and maybe we add two more and we take three away. So it, it flows a little bit there. And then they go out and go to open houses, go to the individual student visits. And all of a sudden they start giving us more data points. Hey, we really liked the informal nature of this school. Okay. Well, let's think about that relative to the big list and maybe some of the schools that, that have a similar vibe, we will add and we might take a couple away. Or, gosh, you know, I my son really kind of responded to, you know, the athletic facilities at this place. Okay, so it evolves. And I think our kind of internal goal is that by Thanksgiving or the early part of December, we're pretty close to a final list because there's some work to be done. There's some application materials that have to be completed, some short essays, things like that. And so certainly by the first of the year, um, you know, the, the student will have had to have gotten teacher recommendations and some of those pieces. If you're, if you're talking about, you know, the middle of January or late January, that could be a hard, um, it'd be hard to get it all done. And it's just, it's hard to, to make decisions. So that's not to say it never happens, but it's nice to have it happen over a little longer period of time. And so we'll often have students applying. If they're thinking about day schools, it might be four, five, six. If they're thinking about boarding, it might be eight to 10. Um, just because, and there's often, when I say that, there's often a mix of day and boarding on a lot of the lists that we help work with. So it might be. <coughs> You know, some day schools, some schools that are 50-50 day and boarding, um, 
Maybe mom or dad went to a boarding school that's a little further away, but that's still on the list. So some of those things. So, you know, every list is unique and every family situation is unique, but those are kind of some some baseline numbers and timing for those things. Um, that's all super helpful information for our listeners, any students and families thinking of applying to independent day or boarding schools this next admission cycle. It's only September, so you've got some time to get out there and see some schools and begin building your list and moving through the application process. So is there anything else you'd like to leave us with on this topic, Bill? I just think that the, the last thing is, you know, the, the best part of the process is to come once you finish, once you've built a starting list, getting to get out and see the schools and see them in action and see their their kids and their teachers and, and meet folks and kind of get get a sense of that. And that's that's one of the best parts about this work is getting to see so many schools, but it's also you get you get great energy from it. So enjoy the process and, you know, things will work out. Thanks, Betsy. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. Great advice. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Wise Advice on Educational Planning. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review.